I want to welcome everybody back to the Fitz News Studio. We've got a couple of very special guests today. You probably know both of their names already if you've been following the Murdoch Murders, Crime and Corruption saga, but we are joined today by two of the attorneys who have made that case. And we're going to talk to them not only about Murdoch-related stuff, but we're also going to get into some of their history, which I think shines a light on this judicial system that we've been following is sort of a backdrop to the Murdoch story. So some very interesting facets that we're going to address there. Eric Bland, Ronnie Richter. Good morning. Welcome to the studio, guys. Thanks for having us, Will. Yeah, man. Our pleasure. Um, before we get to the case, everyone obviously wants to talk Murdochs, but you guys have a story that, that goes back several decades. The two of you working together, you guys have been fighting the establishment in the state for a while, haven't you? We have, uh, we have been doing that. When we started suing lawyers, which was in basically early 2000s, it, it was not a popular thing to do. It's still not a popular thing to do. You know, we're we're older lawyers now. I always say I'm in the fourth quarter of my career. Ronnie's younger than me, but we have war stories. We have so many war stories, and we hate lawyers that, you know, in a court hearing tell war stories. But the, the long and short of it is the judges hated us to begin with, suing lawyers, couldn't understand. That's how we made a living, uh, suing lawyers. Other lawyers publicly would say that, it's the wrong thing to do. They don't like it. They don't understand why young lawyers like us are taking on these type of cases. But privately, they would be um, encouraging us. And believe it or not, most of our cases come from those very same lawyers that criticized us for the way we were making our living at the time. Now, now a lot of those referral calls are from lawyers who say, this call never happened. Which We have to respect that, you know. We appreciate we're in the system, even when we appear to be fighting the system. It's funny because we we always say, um, "Hey, do you want to be involved in the case, Jimmy?" Oh, no. Who's no. oh no, no, no don't. No. Do you want any? Do you want to be part of the fee if we set up a joint represent? Oh, absolutely not. This is all on you, and please do not use my name to the defendant. But, but, but there is a misperception, I think, among many of our colleagues that we're. We set out with some design, some grand plan that we're going to take down the system. That's not the way it works at all. We were approached about a case a long time ago that was so compelling. Now, at the time, we were too young, too stupid to really appreciate the gray line that we were getting ready to cross by suing a firm like Nexon Pruitt. It's a very powerful, prominent law firm in the state. But we heard the story that was just so compelling that we couldn't say no to it. And that was... The Jimmy Meyer case. That was the Jimmy Meyer case. We thought it was a one-off, Will. We thought that, you know, there was a conflicted representation where they tried to represent um, a buyer and then a subsequent buyer, and they they pushed one to the curb, and we got a, a seven-figure settlement, which was pretty extraordinary in the early 2000s. But we honestly thought, okay, this is a one-off. It's not going to happen again. And what we found is that even though we're a self-policing profession, that lawyers are supposed to police themselves, that if we see somebody engaging in misconduct that violates the rules, we're duty-bound to report them. And in, in fact, we'll talk about that in the Murdoch case about reporting lawyers, and that's what we did in the, in the Murdoch case. But we feel like that lawyers have a duty to police themselves, and we actually have duties not only to report others, but if I was to do something or miss a statute of limitations or make a mistake that costs client money, I'm almost duty bound under the rules to turn myself in to the uh, Office of Disciplinary Counsel. Well, it was never being done. Um, we found out that um, 
a lot of the law firms were burying their mistakes, um, not being open and honest with the clients about them. And what turned out to be a one-off has turned into be a very lucrative part of our practice and has probably cemented our legacy as lawyers in this state. But it was risky. It was a huge risk because well, again, well, well, again, how could you know the risk? I mean, you're just, you're, you're young and stupid and principled. And, you know, when we walked into that case, um, my experience, and Eric, you can amplify on this, was in the context of that case, we felt uh, mishandled, uh, disrespected, uh, abused, bullied. Um, and, and maybe part of that was fueled by just whatever internal insecurities that I had or that Eric had as, you know, just a, a, just a redneck kid from Charleston, uh, first person in the family to go to college, much less law school, you know, kind of practicing with that chip on his shoulder that maybe I'm not as good as these establishment generational lawyers. I was from Philadelphia. I was, you know, not, I wasn't born and bred here. I, at that time, I, you know, didn't know a lot of people here. I came here and, and opened up a, a solo practice and then Ronnie and I merged our practices and I just didn't understand the good old boy network. We weren't part of it. Um, we weren't, not that we sought to be included in it, but we were definitely excluded uh, from it. So our, our loyalty was always to clients, never to lawyers. I'll never forget one of the lawyers on the other side of the case said to Ronnie, how could you sue these lawyers? They're such fine lawyers. Fine lawyers. <laughs> fine lawyers. <laughs> and even, Southern. And after we got the verdict, uh, even after we got the verdict of $5.5 million, which still stands today as the largest legal malpractice verdict in our state's history against Nexon Pruitt, people still didn't accept the fact that Nexon Pruitt could make these kind of mistakes. And they were doing them over and over again. And we ended up having three very prominent uh, reported cases against them that one resulted in a large verdict. The other two re resulted in seven-figure settlements. And I wanted to ask you both about this. Ronnie, you and I were speaking earlier, and we were talking about you know, how the Murdoch case and some of these other cases, like the Bowen-Turner case in Orangeburg, for example, have exposed what many believe to be systemic flaws, whether in the judicial branch, whether the lawyer legislators who appoint those judges, uh, but very systemic problems with our justice system. But you tell me you don't think that's really the case. You, you feel like these cases are sort of exposing those and that the system is holding itself accountable. Tell me a little bit. Yeah. About that. And uh, it, it's a point on which uh, Eric and I may disagree. We, we disagree do. very often, but, uh, but it's, it makes for a healthy partnership and relationship that there's more than one point of view. But the criticism I hear about Murdoch in particular is it's an example of a system broken. It's, it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, it, it's exemplary of the corruption that exists systemically throughout our judicial system. And I, and I would say, no, that's not true, that what you see in Murdoch is the system working. Because what we were told, and I, I guess Eric and I made this class at law school, is that we're supposed to be self-policing. We're supposed to, to hold our, our brothers and sisters of the bar accountable when we see bad conduct. And what you see happening in the Murdoch case is the system policing itself. Now, it's ugly and, and it's uncomfortable, but it's doing what it's supposed to do. We are supposed to come forward as lawyers and hold accountable those other lawyers 
who call the system into disrepute. So this Except system is working. Except people say, who named you cop? Well, we're all supposed to be cops. That's what we were told. We're supposed to police ourselves. Now, we like to say we must live in a really bad neighborhood because when bad stuff happens, nobody shows up. But I think more and more we're seeing people show up. Uh, we showed up, and I, I hope it helped to restore some of the public trust in the system. Well, I think it only uh, has played out the way it has because from the start, with the help of Mandy and obviously you and Liz and, and John Monk and some other reporters that have been on this, we've put so much sunlight on this case that it couldn't be handled the way that other cases may have been handled in the past. The fact that there's so many newspaper articles and whenever anything happens, it's reported. And we were going on news stations and going giving interviews. I, I don't think the way that it played out would have had would have played out otherwise i think the way we have this has all played out is because of the pressure of the press we are a society that the the more earnest the press is and the more that they can get inside the room the the, the less that shady dealings can happen well i you know i do agree with you there and i, and I gotta say on behalf of my partner eric bland he wouldn't say about himself but there's been two courts here mm -hmm. obviously the legal court but the court of public opinion has been significant and important in this case because public trust was was injured and had to be restored. And, and my partner has been masterful in the court of public opinion about trying to restore that trust in, in ways that I couldn't or wouldn't do. You know, that that's not my role in the team. That's not that's not my juice. Mm -hmm. He's been masterful at, at uh, I think, delivering that message and keeping that spotlight where it needed to be because this was going to die a quiet death in Hampton County, but for the spotlight. No question about it. I think that um, for me, though, it's a breakdown of the lawyers, because if Dick is to be believed that Alex had this opioid type of addiction, there were people around them that would have seen this. You know, do I think it was a, a, an addiction that rose to the level that it prevented him from doing right or wrong? No. He obviously was able to go to court. He was able to have client meetings. Nobody reported him to the bar. But w what you do have is lawyers not really paying attention to client matters. You know, in that firm, lawyers just probably paid attention to the matters they were working on. But we have a duty as lawyers. We represent clients. It's the client's case. It's not our case. We're not making money because of the client. We're supposed to make the clients money, and when the clients make money, we'll make money. And for them not to really follow their escrow account or for to encourage people who work for lawyers in a firm, if you see something that's being done wrong, you have to report it. And, and people knew if you were to sit down with Alex's paralegals and secretaries, they, they would have known that something was wrong. Uh, for him to call up Corey Fleming and tell Corey Fleming where to send money and how to send it and do a check made payable to Forge and just drop it in an envelope, not with a cover letter. There were enough people that would have seen red flags going off that if law firms were doing the right thing in these cases, this would have been seen. Now, what I think is going to happen, I'm hopeful that our Supreme Court's going to impanel uh, a committee to make sure that the rules regarding attorney oversight and law firm oversight are going to be strengthened, that we as partners 
have a duty to make sure that other partners are keeping the escrow account the way it should be. Like I know everything that Ronnie does and he knows everything that I'm doing. Now that's just two of us. It's much more difficult admittedly in a 20 person law firm or a hundred person law firm. But Hey, if you want to get that big, uh, that's how you chose to organize yourself. You, if you choose to organize yourself that yeah. way, you better have the controls in place mm-hmm. so that it doesn't happen. Let me get back though to that, that elemental question. And I, I think you gentlemen both saw there was an opinion editorial that was published in the Charleston Post and Courier uh, last month from several leaders of the South Carolina Bar Association, very influential attorneys in this state, kind of the club that never let you guys in. Mm -hmm. These folks stood up and and basically said, in response to all this criticism, it's just a few bad apples, the system is fine, and these people who are attacking the system are the ones that we should really look at. I mean, but you're telling me you do agree that it's only a few bad apples, and it sounds to me, Eric, like you're saying there's Uh, deeper problems. Deeper problems. I believe that... The system is being tested. It's being stretched right now. You know, the one person that's shocked in all of this is Dick Harpootley. Because Dick did not see this playing out the way it's played out over the last six months. Really? I think Dick saw that this thought that this was going to be a matter that he could do his good job of, of investigating a case, pleading it out properly to maybe a sentence that Alex got, a manageable sentence. He certainly couldn't have forecasted, you know, 100 indictments or 88 indictments against Alex. Um, I don't think he he saw what I did to him publicly on TV and in print and what Ronnie did it to him in court. I don't okay. think he saw us being the ones that were going to attack some of his positions. So... I think if there wasn't sunlight on this case, like Ronnie said, it would have played out. It would have been quietly handled. Um, I think Dick would have done his dizzle and his dance and gotten a great result because he's one of the state's best lawyers. I think he would have gotten it in front of the right judge. Um, But because it blew up so quickly and that I challenged SLED, early on that they weren't doing their job that I get it that they're focused on the murder cases, but here's black and white, mm-hmm. Alex stealing, you know, a uh, 3.4 million of the $4.3 million settlement. Here's the checks coming in here. It's gone to forge here. They're in Alex's account. What more do you need? And I challenged, uh, uh, chief keel to the point that he called me on the phone and asked me to please stop, you know, your tirade against us and sled in the press, it's not helping. But that's mm-hmm. following Sunday. It was the 27th of September. He actually spoke in the state paper and said, we're opening a criminal investigation into the money that was stolen from Gloria Satterfield and another separate criminal investigation for the circumstances surrounding her death. Mm-hmm. And that's basically only the only statements that Keel has made. And up until that point in time, there was very little reporting that you guys could do that would be factual, it would be opinion-based, but nobody was releasing anything to you guys. And I think that's what what turned it when SLED finally said, we're starting these investigations. But, but SLED followed the sunlight. That, that, oh, is, yeah. that is true. Yeah. And that's not a criticism of SLED. Mm-mm. Don't know what would have happened otherwise. So we only know the way it actually transpired. But, but back to the question of what is the breadth of the problem? Mm-hmm. You know, is this just a few bad actors? Is it something more systemic? Well, these little backwaters exist all over South Carolina. Um, 
the opportunity and exists. in every state too, right? Every state. No, no, no. We're, the, the, we don't. We, we don't have a license. On this. No, every no. state has a little hamlet no. where some powerful people are in control and things happen. I mean, no, it's but, just. But, but every lawyer has the opportunity, right, to do what was done in Hampton. Every one of us, because we we are privileged and acts, and we have access to the courts, to money, to. To, to things that rank and file citizens don't uh, understand that we can we can make outcomes. I mean, a tiny little law firm could pass millions and millions of dollars through it quietly that you would never know of. So that that is a lot of trust that's being placed in each and every member of the bar. So is it a big problem? Is it a small problem? I say, I mean, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but I don't think it's as broad based as as many would would want to believe that it is. I think most lawyers every day strap it on and go do good, honest work for clients. Mm -hmm. But the opportunity for abuse exists. Well, I will tell you this, that I'm a proud graduate of uh, University of South Carolina School of Law, uh, 1988 graduate, um, graduated with honors. But I will not give a dime to that law school for what they did to Ronnie and me early on in our careers. We were... um, we had sued these law firms, these large law firms. And just so you know, mm-hmm. we we just didn't pick on Nex and Pruitt. We, we sued Nelson we Mullins. We didn't pick on any, but this was not a, not, a pay, business pay, plan. No, but <laughs> the, we've sued. The cases came to us. We've, worked out that way. It did. But okay. We've sued Nelson Mullins. Mm-hmm. We've sued McNair. We've sued uh, Turner Pageant. We've sued. Hainsworth. Hainsworth. Um, Jones Day. Baker Jones Daniels. Day. Motley Rice. We've sued the largest law firms in the world. So it's not just picking on one particular firm. But what ended up happening is after we got our large verdict, some of the major law firms that we had sued went to the law school. This is, was written about in the state paper. I'll send mm-hmm. you the article. Please. And they told the state, they told the law school, on the one hand, you're asking us for all this money to endow your chairs and to hire your graduates. And at the same time, your professors are acting as expert witnesses for Ronnie and Eric in their legal malpractice cases against us. And we don't think that's right. And so the edict from uh, Dean Montgomery came down to some of the professors. You can act as an expert witness if the defendants are a small law firm or sole practitioners or those that aren't really important to the law school. But if it is a large law firm, you're going to have to come to me to get permission. And the word was, you're not going to get permission. But you certainly have the right, and we encourage you to be expert witnesses on behalf of these large law firms that Eric and Ronnie are suing. And fortunately, there was one courageous professor, Greg Adams, Adams. who said, I'm not going to go along with it. I'm going to continue to be an expert witness. So for me, the problem is bigger than the lawyers. Mm -hmm. It's the law school. It's the law firms themselves. That somehow, you know, we don't have a problem. We'll sue in accountants, doctors, bankers, car salesmen, you name it. But somehow lawyers think that they should have a special license not to be sued. Lawyers put their pants on the same way that everybody else does and laces up their shoes. And, you know, I came from nothing. Mm -hmm. And so it's a privilege for me to be a lawyer. And I consider this to be an honorable profession. I'm not a guy that you could tell a lawyer joke to. Don't don't tell it in my presence. I'll cut, I, I, I like them. I'll cut you off. That's a difference <laughs> that's, between him that's and me. Fine. 
It's okay. The two are so different. That's why Baskin Robbins makes 31 flavors. I got it. It's not all I consider it to be a privilege. And when somebody tramples on my profession, like what has been done in this Murdoch case, you damn right. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything I can within my power, within my mouth. I always say my mouth is my greatest weapon. My words are my currency. My mouth gets me in so much trouble, but at the same time, it, 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 it can help. But the point is, I'm not going to sit by and let people trample on my profession. We, we've had to walk back a few statements, but for the most part, yes, the, the mouth is a terrific weapon. But it can be the Achilles heel every now and then. It too. can. Oh, yeah, I admit it. But like, I'd rather be um, strong and wrong yes. than weak and right. Because right. if I'm strong and wrong, nine times out of ten, I'm going to be right. Well, going, going back to Jimmy Meyer, which was uh, the, the gray line, he had been to... I don't know, 10, 20 oh, law yeah. firms before he called us. Oh, no question. He got the same answer. Oh, no. We don't sue lawyers. Mm -hmm. We don't sue like Or or we'll, we'll we'll talk to you about it. Next approval. Oh, forget it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you got to leave. So you guys were perfect for this case. Yeah, because we were young and hungry. Yeah. Just because we were two months from nowhere. I mean, and, and principled and, and did believe that we were supposed to do this. Yeah, we... I think he was saying we were perfect for the Murdoch case. Yeah. Oh, for Based, Murdoch, for sure. How, how our, yeah. how yeah, our careers, the background, the, how our yeah. careers evolved. And, you know, I, I think you know the story, but the way we got contacted was through Mark Tinsley mm -hmm. because Eric Harriet, the, the um, uncle to the boys and the uh, brother to Gloria, he sat on this for about six months after Mandy wrote the article and they talked inside the family and, and the family was very scared to come forward. They did really? not want to come forward. They didn't want to take on Alex. They grew up with him. They went to high school with him. I think um, they still didn't believe it too. The, plus they, they didn't believe it. But once once the article came out, they he finally got the courage to go to Mark Tinsley. Mark Tinsley He'll suck the marrow out of your bones. Okay, that's a that's a serious lawyer. Probably yeah. one of the top ten best trial lawyers in our state. He wasn't going to touch this with a ten foot pole. Mm -hmm. And he said, "There's only one person you can call, and he's a friend of mine, Eric Bland." And uh, it took them a while, even after he was told that Eric Carey to call us on the phone. But he called me on September eighth, and um, I remember talking to Ronnie, and. Ronnie said, get out. His this famous happen. line is, get out this of here. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. Not true. Didn't Not happen. True. I said, okay, can we get him on the phone? Okay. We get him on the phone. And the Murdoch firm did not steal $505,000 from a, 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 a poor family in Hampton County. Especially. It right. did not happen. The, the family of the house. Yeah. It didn't. This is didn't crazy. Right. Now, this story's I will ridiculous. tell you about the Murdoch firm. They, it, they're, they're cloaked in mystique. Mm-hmm. You know, no one really knows a lot of the lawyers there. You know, they don't come to our roster meetings in Richland County, Charleston, or Greenville that we all litigate in. They stay there. And so you you heard about Johnny Parker, how great of a trial lawyer he is. Ronnie Crosby. And Mark Ronnie Ball. Crosby, Mark Ball. Outstanding lawyers. Outstanding, but you never saw him. Mm -hmm. And you had heard they made a fortune off of railroads and products liability claims and that you know, the, the okie doke is done with lawyers down there in cases and they get great settlements. And it's kind of like when I got out of law school, I mean, everybody was bragging. I said, oh, I'm going with the largest firm in Philadelphia, Wolf Block. And I had two friends, John Herrick and Cameron Waddell. They were not at the top of their class. Great guys. We and we both and said, hey, where are you? Where, where are you guys going to work? And they said, oh, we're, we're going to Barnwell. Barnwell? Who are you going to work for in Barnwell? 
well, there's this firm called Ness Motley in Barnwell. So what are you going to do? Well, they're just starting in this asbestos type of litigation. <laughs> and everybody kind of thumbed their nose at Cameron and John. You're going to Barnwell? Oh, I'm going to McNair or I'm going to Turner Pageant, whatever. <laughs> Turns out that John, who's now the managing partner of, of Motley Rice, Motley Rice and right. Cameron Waddell retired in 1997 as a – like a gazillionaire because these guys were thrown into the fire, forged by steel and tried cases. They were assigned. I think Cameron was assigned to New Orleans. John was assigned to Texas at a, at a, a naval place. And they went after these asbestos makers and they won verdicts. They won settlements. And so they had a mystique about them. But this Murdoch firm, I, I said, Ronnie, Listen to the client. He said, okay, okay, I'll listen to him. And we asked him, I said, did you get any of this 505000 No, we didn't. No, but still still hearing them say it. Right. No, we didn't. I said, are you it sure? It's still not true. I said, mm -hmm. are you sure there wasn't a trust put in place? Or, there's a lien or, or there's something, or something that's holding up the money. Or holding up the money. They said no. So we're not the lawyers that we don't send Hallmark cards. Right. So when you get a first letter from us, it's never – a Hallmark card, right. nice to meet you or whatever. But in this particular case, Ronnie said to me, hey, hold your powder. We have to be very deferential here. Be very deferential, hold your powder. So we wrote this letter on a Friday afternoon. Probably hard for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I always listen to him, usually. Usually. <laughs> um, if, if he doesn't have a chance to stop me, I'll go. <laughs> but when he has a chance to talk me down, I'll stop. But I've kept your law license for this entire time. He, so he, there is that. Yeah. So Friday morning, it's like September 9th or whatever. And, you know, I write this letter to Corey and to Alex and to Ronnie Crosby at the time and said, Westerdorf. Hey, Chad Westerf, hey, we represent the Satterfields, you know, the, this article appeared in the paper that there was a $505,000 settlement. The clients have indicated that they haven't gotten any of the money. I'm sure there's a misunderstanding here. Mm -hmm. Can you please let us know? Yeah. Well, I'm just telling you, Will, as a lawyer, if somebody writes me that kind of letter, pen drops, whatever you're doing, you're getting an answer out that minute. Mm -hmm. Hour goes by. Nothing. Two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours. The day expired. And nobody responded. That was odd. That was odd. So Monday, green lights me. We write a very strong letter, like, look. Not you, asking this time. Not asking. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you SOBs, you don't get us a response by 3 o'clock. All hell's going to break loose. Nothing. All we got is a one phone call by one of the lawyers uh, who represented Corey Fleming saying, I've been retained. Um, we'll get you. Uh, a response in due course. I'm just getting my arms around it. And I'm like, look, get us the file. And they were giving us arms and elbows about giving us the file. Give us the trust ledger. Give us the trust ledger. Show us anything. Nothing. And so Monday night, Ronnie and I made the decision we were going to file a lawsuit that Tuesday because then we would get subpoena power. And the subpoena power broke this case wide open because once we filed our suit, we sent out subpoenas to Nautilus, to Lloyd's, to the attorneys that were representing Alex yeah. for their files. And people turned over documents to us that they possibly could have declared attorney-client privilege, similar to what Nautilus is doing, or John Grantland and Murphy, J.R. Murphy are doing in the Nautilus lawsuit. And when we got these subpoena responses, it was 
absolutely eye-opening. And I'm going out on TV every night at that time. Ronnie wasn't because he's more reserved. You were way past your skis at the time. I mean, we, we, didn't, we didn't know. We're still investigating. And, and I'm saying a million dollars is stolen now. And uh, Eric, uh, what's your basis? Which, for that? Well, um, people are calling me, telling me it's a million dollars, two million dollars, okay. three million. There's no factual basis for that. What are you, you saying? Say Where that. are you getting this? I'm getting it from good sources. It's not what good sources. sources? You Have say you it. seen any documents? No, I haven't These seen These are the Murdoch's, dumbass. You can't, yeah. you can't be saying this. You can't be saying this. And finally, I got on and said it's four million dollars. And he said, You're out of your mind. We're, we're going to get <laughs> nailed on this. And sure enough, that's when John Grantland produced his entire file to me. And I found out it was $4.3 million that was taken. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. Then though. I believed it. Yeah, that's when you finally. Of course. Let me ask you this, though. Even after that, all that discovery, when you finally find out that settlement, that fraud. Blew us away. Did you have any idea, though, even then where this was going? Um, knew it was going to be um, serious. And I knew I could... Um, maximize it and parlay it into taking the focus away from the blue collar murders shootings to make it into a, a financial crime Madoff type case. I knew it had the Madoff kind of mystique because I said, I think in one of my interviews, I said, this is going to be the hub. Everything yeah. else is going to be the spoke. I you kept on that. saying, you know, Al Capone went down for income tax evasion. He didn't go down for murder. This is what's going to take Alex Murdoch down. And well, the, the one conversation we had too early on was the, the only way that we could do this safely, professionally, okay, is if the lights are on. Mm -hmm. So it was important. I mean, there are rules about pretrial publicity. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're aware of we those rules. We had many arguments. We had many arguments. He, but, but the, but the only me. way that you could prosecute this case and do it safely was to make sure that the lights were on. Now, there's no way to know that the lights would shine this bright. Right. But for our personal professional safety, it was imperative that there be press on this. But I was personal safety. Professional more than personal. Okay. We don't know. I mean, we. I have, I have received some death threats. Look, from this cat, from the murder. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have look, received look, there's, from... there's dead bodies around yeah. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> there's lots of money missing. These are very powerful people, not just in the Hampton yeah, County, but beyond. Yeah, five bodies since 2015. Mm -hmm. So, no, th this required maximum daylight. And we were not making Hampton County look good. Right. And what was happening is I was doing this at an incredible pace. I was doing four and five television and radio interviews a day and giving interviews to newspapers. And Ronnie's practicing law. And so I, I basically shut down half of our practice that I was handling to do the Murdoch case. And so he couldn't keep up with what I'm doing other than opening the newspaper the next day and saying, oh, my God, did you say that? What did does Eric really say, say now? That? Did you really say <laughs> that? Can we vet this out? He would get phone calls from people who now, there's say, lots of actual legal work happening oh, yeah. in the Murdoch oh, case, yeah. you know? Yeah, we were doing legal work, but... He would say, I got a phone call. Did you really say that last night on Chris Cuomo? Did you really call Alex Murdoch a venereal disease? Yeah, that he's the gift <laughs> that, that keeps that on giving. And so we were we were doing this. I'm saying, Ronnie, I mean, it's it's important. He's saying, Eric, you're you're getting so close to saying things that they're going to use against us. It's going to hurt us. And I said, no, Ronnie, it, it's putting maximum pressure. We've always ag agreed on our strategy is we put your we put our foot on your throat 
and we don't let up. Someone once said that litigating us with us is like Fallujah every day, and it is. Pressure breaks pipes. Pressure breaks pressure pipes. Pressure shows cracks. And, you know, pressure makes diamonds. So we, that's what we believed. And I said, Ronnie, please stick with me. And I said, look, I know I'm going to get a grievance out of this. I know somebody's going to report me to the ODC. But I believe that what I'm doing is proper under the pretrial publicity rules. And he goes, well, well, God damn it, let me... Excuse my language. He said, well, damn it. I probably said that. Let me re let me research it first. Don't just tell me you're- There's actual rules here, Donnie. This yeah. is not NOM. Yeah. He says, let me research 3.6. And sure enough, he did. And I was right. He said, look, you know, we're allowed to correct the record because Dick was making a lot of misstatements we at that time. We can correct the record. That's that. That's We can correct the record. The rule. And there's no case on a roster. Narrative. There's no, no case on a roster. So we're not influencing a jury. Nope. And we have First Amendment rights to advance a matter of public concern. And we sought expert opinions. And we sought expert opinions. So, I got an expert opinion from Michael Veerzy, uh, who wrote us an opinion, a written opinion, that what I'm doing is proper because it's it's a public matter and the public has a right to know. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, that's when Dick uh, threatened that he was going to move the court to uh, gag, you. gag me and... Then, you know, then they reported me. The The straw that broke the back with, with Dick was that I said Dick should think long and hard about taking any money from Alex because the money that he was probably paid at the time that Paul was charged with murder came from the Satterfields. I see that was. I mean, and so they I almost reported you for that. I mean, I, was, I they, came very close, you know, in baseball, the code. Mm -hmm. or is it in, uh, it's in football the code or whatever the baseball I think it's in baseball they talk about the code all the time the, the Yankees broke the code or something and Donaldson with the other guy uh, broke the code last week I broke the code because I started talking about lawyer fees lawyers didn't like don't it. talk about other lawyers money don't talk about other lawyers money that's the code so don't sue them and don't talk about their money don't, don't talk well and maybe don't ever order. criticize them for what they're making or getting paid yes mm -hmm. and uh but I believed, and I still do, that any money that that they've been paid, probably we're going back there. I'm just saying that <laughs> some of it probably didn't claims come. Dick Harpootlin claims he hadn't been paid. Uh, Dick's been paid. Oh yes, he has been paid. He was paid by uh, to represent for Paul's uh, murder, and I believe under the new agreement that was reached with the receiver, he's going to get some of the money released. Well, I'll say this. And if, he should be paid. If I was in Alex's shoes and I could afford it, I'd, I'd pay Dick. Mm -hmm. So um, he is the go-to call for a situation like this. Now, I don't think Dick ever realized that this is going to be how his career is going to end mm -hmm. and be defined. But I Dick's mean, not done. Yeah, lawyers should be like yogurt, Ronnie. We should expire. <laughs> listen, flight, I'm happy to expire. Oh, oh listen to me. Um, mm -hmm. Air traffic controllers, they're done at 57. Pilots are done at 65. I believe that my utility will end soon as a lawyer. And I believe we should expire like no, yogurt. Look, now, I'm not saying Dick's done. He's an influential lawyer. He's an unbelievable politician. However, a great career of unbelievable great results is now going to be tainted by what happens in this Murdoch no, case. But, but a lawyer's zenith doesn't happen until 55, 60. You, you start off young. You don't matter. You don't count. You don't have your bona fides. You have no book of work. Your voice is irrelevant. And then you then you get your scar tissue and your battles. And that bell curve rises. And you come into your zenith. What happens when you're 73? 
Oh, you're on the downside of this. That's what the I'm saying. The fall off is steep. Well, that's okay? what I'm saying. I'm not saying Dick's done. But However, this is, you're in the house. That 55, 60, 65, you're, you are in your apex. But the last thing that Dick's going to deal with is now nine or 10 civil cases in the Murdoch, plus a number of criminal cases. And there's no good Dick's ending the for it. Dick's got other things up his sleeve. Well, let's talk, since we're on the subject, let's talk about, obviously, there's a ton of big name lawyers involved in this mm-hmm. case, whether on the criminal side, on the right. civil side. Obviously, Harputlian apparently is involved in both. I do um, want to say, uh, rest in peace, John Tiller. Uh, he just passed away. Um, a very, very, very good civil lawyer. Mm-hmm. He was representing Alex. We just saw him in court mm-hmm. two weeks ago in Lexington. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he had a long battle. He was a fine lawyer with 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 cancer, mm-hmm. and he was a lawyer's lawyer. He he was he was a good mediator. He mediated cases, mm-hmm. so lawyers trusted him. And Alex will miss him uh, at the table. Now he's got Dolls Cook, who's a worthy, worthy, worthy substitute. Mm-hmm. Bet the farm lawyer. Bet the farm lawyer. No question about it. So you guys have watched, and obviously it plays out not only in the courtroom, not only in the in motions that are filed, filings, and. Uh, uh, in public opinion, in interviews. So as you look at this case, and again, feel free to give examples of both. Who has acquitted themselves well? Who has acquitted themselves poorly as far as the attorneys involved in this case? And obviously you can't, you can talk about each other if you want. You, I, you, think you, done, <laughs> I think we've done. I think we've done. I've already said it. I mean, you've already Eric has that. taken professional risk mm-hmm. that other lawyers would not take. Mm-hmm. But that this case required be- because of the public impact. And, and there is no doubt that what would have happened, because it's the way things work in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. If things get quiet, things get done. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what would have happened in Hampton County. But for you guys in the press and my partner, God bless him, with that giant mouth it is. Well, we started off with four goals. Um, one is to find out what happened. Mm-hmm. And we did. Mm-hmm. And answer those questions. Two, um, get money for our clients. Get the money that they were entitled. They were originally entitled to 2.75 million from the 4.3, and as you know, we've gotten in excess of seven and a half million. And yesterday, we just got the can, the judgment from Alex filed of, at 4.3 million. That's so right. we accomplished that. Number three, hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. Well, we've gotten uh, Alex temporarily suspended. We got Corey temporarily suspended. My mouth, I. Worked hard to get Alex charged. Corey got charged. Russ Lafitte is charged. And fourth, um, get apologies. We mm-hmm. did get an apology from Corey Fleming when we settled with him. Um, and Alex gave a kind of an apology through Dick at the first mm-hmm. bond hearing on December 13th. So we accomplished all of our goals. Mark Tinsley is according himself incredibly Justin Bamberg. I, I got to give Mark Tinsley the I don't know how you pull on your trousers award for the size of the balls on that guy because <laughs> he's he's first guy in. Yeah. Right? Okay. And he lives down he there. He lives down and there. And he did cases yeah. with them years I mean, and years. You want to talk about ago. professional risk. I mean, that is that is danger territory. That's hazard pay. Um, so hats off to Mark Tinsley. Justin Bamberg is doing a wonderful job yeah. in um, navigating eight separate clients and you know, one of the things that we did is we believed um, you strike early, you strike hot, you strike hard. We believe fast quarters are better than slow dollars. So our strategy was the longer this goes on, the more chance there is that there's going to be impediments in us collecting money. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to collect it quickly, and we did. 
But what we did is we stripped out and 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 bled out the entire insurance policies of a lot of the people involved so that the people that follow, Justin and Mark, there's not a lot of insurance coverage available to pay for the damage. It's going to have to come from profits and coffers in people's pockets. And one of the fears we had, especially for Palmetto State Bank, not for Bank of America because they're too big to fail. That's their, you know, their their mantra. But we'll Palmetto that. State Bank, we felt that the federal regulators are going to come in mm-hmm. and they're yeah. going to either shut them down, they're going to fine them, they're going to put in, make them put a new board in or a new compliance department or a new compliance officer, something that's going to make getting money from them much more difficult. And I think that I was able to convince a lot of the lawyers in this case more utility in getting money now than just getting a big trophy verdict on the wall that you won't collect. Well, it's such a toxic atmosphere, too. And if, if you should think of any lawsuit as, as a, a paper boat that you set adrift on the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never better than the day you set sail. Mm-hmm. And the, the goal is to get to the other shore as fast as possible. Because terrible stuff happens yeah, on the ocean. They, you start taking try. fire. Right. You start taking storms. Jellyfish. Yeah. I mean, anything <laughs> could sink that ship, right? So we were we were successful in getting our paper ship from shore to shore quickly. I noticed that neither of you have referenced Dick Harputlin or Jim Griffin on the list of lawyers who have acquitted themselves well. In Look, I, well, I'll tell you, let me take first crack at that, okay? Because <laughs> I'm just I, noticing. I, I think the – listen – Damn, they could do so much. They had what we call bad facts. Shitty okay? hand. It, it is hard to deal with. Twos and a couple right. twos and an eight and a You're seven. waiting for an inside straight on a six. I mean, they got nothing. Fair enough. But how do you. I think Dick misplayed some things. I think, you know, he. A lot of lawyers across the nation questioned when he stood up in court and said, look, everybody knows my client did this. Um, he's going to serve a lot of jail time. He took money. Even if he did, which he did, mm-hmm. you, you can't admit that because that becomes a judicial admission by an attorney. So some of the, I don't know if Dick saw where this was going, um, but he's a great lawyer, great lawyer. Jim Griffin's a great technical lawyer. I mean, he's such a good technical lawyer. Yeah, he's gotten into some late night spats with Mandy on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but he he's a he's a great lawyer to have Jim Did Griffin Jim, on your team. Jim is top shelf. I'm they, just they're you. good lawyers, that but they good lawyer. they have shitty facts and, and a and guilty client, a bad client, mm-hmm. no client, no case, and they have nowhere to turn publicly. They're not getting. You, you, here's one of the things: when Dick filed his motion to gag me and said, "Oh, Eric is influencing the proceedings," and I, I got up and said, now let me explain something to everybody. I came on board on September 15th publicly. Alex has been known for two years in these cases. They've been writing articles for him for two years. There's over 250 articles on him. Not one nice thing has been said about him. So nothing I have said has changed public opinion. Do you know that there's, to date, nobody has come forward and written an article on Alex saying, He's a great man. He's a, a generous person, really religious, charitable. <laughs> None of that is written. So nothing I could have said, Will, would have hurt them. And by the way, nothing I said was worse than what Dick Harpootlian said in court. But look, at, look how, how do you grade their performance? Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse. It does. It's insurance fraud on the side of the road with Cousin Eddie 
shooting Alex in the head. Right. I mean, they already were saddled with an an indefensible position. Mm-hmm. And then it just went lunacy. And, and then on top of that, you've got the pressure of the press constantly on top of it. I mean, where exactly were they supposed to go? I will tell you this. The lawyers, the civil lawyers have done a masterful job. The, the ones that we have dealt with. Trenum Walker. Great. Uh, Wallace Lightsey. These are the lawyers, the best lawyers of the bar. Uh, Thomas Pendarvis has done a decent job. Now, he's got, you know, bigger fish to fry because Corey's got bar issues and he's a close personal friend. Um, Maybe sometime he got a little close to the flame with with Corey. But these guys have accorded themselves well. They got their clients out of harm's way, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at at least as best they could, at least on our claims. And did it quickly. Yeah. Which, which, given the facts, you have to assess the risk. You have to decide your course of action. You have to move quickly. I think the judges have done great. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Judge Newman, Judge Lee has not waffled. You know, yeah. she's been the subject of major criticism on what she's done uh, from a bond standpoint. Um, it almost probably kept her off the Court of Appeals where she's always wanted to go. And a federal um, appointment, too. Cost yeah, her a federal appointment. Cost her a federal appointment. I think Judge Hall has done a wonderful job on the tough receivership issues. So I think the judges in this case have accorded themselves well. I will say this, and I'll say this right to your face. Um, I don't think Judge Mullen accorded herself well, and I don't think Judge Mullen um, has done herself any service by not addressing the obvious thousand pound elephant in the room, how these settlements took place in front of her. But that's for another day. And that's for somebody else other than me. And that's a look you're seeing from my partner. Like, why did you you're go raining there? them in? Why did you, you go need there? like a shot collar or something? That too, might, you know. I don't think they make a voltage high <laughs> enough. Um, but yeah, though, I think the judges that are on these cases now are done a great job. And I also want to say, I have given a lot of criticism to SLED and to the attorney general early on. But since November, these guys have been dogged, earnest. We should be proud of what they're doing and the grand jury themselves to have met this long and be very methodical in how they're uh, uh, rendering their indictments, I think, is a good testament. We look really good to the country after looking really bad. Yeah, I think so, too. And I, I don't think that their work wasn't happening before then, but it wasn't, ha- wasn't happening fast enough for our taste. Right. When I want to ask you guys about this before we before we go, because I do think that all of this is leading to some place. Yeah, to the potential um, murder charges. And certainly we're expecting some development on that imminently. Uh, Are you that craven, Will, that you believe that it's going to happen on the anniversary of the uh, deaths? Because well, if it did, uh, you'll hear from me that I would be disappointed if the grand jury had returned indictments before mm-hmm. and somebody is waiting to no, make now a we're grant. Just, this, now we're delving into utter speculation. Yeah, I'm yeah, speculating. No I'm, being, I'm not being a lawyer here. I'm just saying it would disappoint me. Timing notwithstanding, though, right. based on what you guys, and again, I know this is not necessarily your cases. It's, it's, it's separate. It's a right. separate arena. But based on what you've seen, uh, the drip of evidence that's been released out of blood, or not blood spatter, but the uh, particulate matter. It hasn't or, been released. Nobody said it. You guys have done, <laughs> you, your organization mined it. Okay. Well, then the fact that, let's Mandy go back. Mandy was the first one who wrote an article with your permission that said there's physical evidence that, that ties Alex to the murders. You guys were the first ones that write that article. 
Well, let's go back, though, to obviously we, we reported again within 48 hours of the murders that Alec Murdoch was a person of interest in, in connection with the killings. Right. And let me tell you, of all the stories that Fitz News has published from the beginning of this saga, that was the one I got the most shit for. Uh, that was the one that people came out of the world. How can you attack this man? He's just lost his wife and kid. How dare you do that? But sure enough, now his own attorneys acknowledge that he is a person look, of interest. Look what your news organization has done. And I'm not sitting here just, you know, lapping it on you. But the fact of the matter is you guys have really reported on the hard stuff. Mandy was the first one to uncover Mandy Matney the $105,000 document that led to the, yeah. the 505,000 that led to the Satterfield case. She's the one that, that, that started reporting on all of the Satterfield matters. And then Liz came on board. Mm -hmm. And then between the three of you, you guys were like the PR campaign for us. Uh, yes, John Monk did a tremendous job as well, but Fitz news every single day from, October to ba basically January was writing a Murdoch article. And well, so but, but it was true investigative journalism. It so, was. I mean, you have to respect that. People couldn't get enough of it either. So the clicks don't hurt. But um, back to the question, though, where is this going? D did he do it? Did he do it? I don't know. However, I, I do know. I, I believe that he has answers. Um, I believe that he understands how it may have happened. And here's why I say that. And this is only Eric talking, not from a lawyer standpoint. <laughs> if he didn't know who murdered his wife and his son, Paul, no father would let Buster walk the street unprotected. No, no brother would let their brother walk the street unprotected. If somebody was trying to harm me and send a message after they would have killed my wife and kid, I'd round up my surviving son and my family and I'd go right to law enforcement and tell them everything I know and say, you got to protect us. But the fact that Buster walks the street without security and all of his family walk freely, the sister, John Marvin and Randolph tells me that they're not in danger. Mm -hmm. And he knows something about the death of his um, wife and his son. But I'm just speculating. What are your thoughts, Ronnie, Ronnie? Did he do it? So if, if I'm going to go down this speculation slide with you, um, I mean, what impresses me is these are the Murdoch's. Mm -hmm. right, this is the, the, the family in power for 100 years. They, they know everything that moves in Hampton County. And so it's strange credulity to think in a double homicide like this that they would be without information and without meaningful clues about who could have been involved in those murders. It's impossible. For a hundred years, they've known everything and everybody that moves When we subpoenaed County. the probate court, we sent our subpoena to um, a A-period Myrtle, I believe. Mm -hmm. When we subpoenaed the 911 tape, we sent it to a P-period Myrtle. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. So... Like Ronnie said, they're they're within the fabric. You know, I don't know. You know, the Chris Wilson thing, does that throw a, a little bit of a wrench in there? The the fact that Alex had four phone calls and a couple text messages between nine and ten. Dick and Jim are good lawyers. They're gonna they're gonna run with that really hard. Were those contrived phone calls and contrived texts to create an alibi? 
I don't know. Is Alex that smart? Some would say he's dumb, but some would say he's pretty smart if he was able to get away with this fraud so long for 11 years. And the way he set it up, you know, the whole thing with Russ Lafitte, it's kind of like the mafia. You you bring somebody in, you boil a frog slowly, and you, they don't feel they're being boiled. He kind of brought Russ in. He he made Russ his banker. He got he brought all of his clients to Russ to do these loans that Liz wrote about these twenty nine percent interest rate loans. So Russ is making a fortune. And then you do the big ask, and the guy can't say no. And that's the kind of possible relationship that Russ had with Alex, where he wanted to say no, but he couldn't. So Alex is pretty smart. Alex knows how to bring people into his web. Not far-fetched to think he walks in the back of America and says, hey, Judy, how you doing, man? That, you're, I love the color of your hair. Didn't it used to be brown? <laughs> and they see Alex Murdoch standing in front of them, and they start relaxing their way. They do business. And that's how you get yourself in trouble, that if you start judging the person in front of you could never do no wrong, He's the guy that's going to burn you. It's not going to be the guy that comes in with tattoos and earrings and 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 and, and natty, natted up hair. It's going to be the guy that looks just like this guy standing in front of you. Don't point at me. No, I'm serious. And, and not and, for nothing. You you are just a hundred percent wrong. I think <laughs> Alex is a moron. Just just like anybody who starts a Ponzi scheme who thinks they've reinvented the wheel on that, how to steal that, money. Yeah, that moron did it for 11 years. They always fail. Of course, but <laughs> most don't it's, get an 11-year run. Okay, he had a decent run. Okay. okay. But in the end, it, he built his own prison. You can't escape from what he's done. Done and, a pretty good job covering his tracks. He hadn't been charged with murder since June I mean, 7th of 2021. I mean, Forge, for right? Christ's sake. Okay. Forge, come on. Yeah, he should have... But it's pretty brilliant to be able to say, well, when people hear the name Forge, they understructure. Listen. It's brilliant in the short run. I think he's a smart criminal. He's not a visionary. No. He's like any other criminal. The most of them are are idiots. Here's a disagreement. This is why crimes fail. Oh, he's a despicable evil person, but he's a damn good criminal. I think he's a damn good criminal. I, I think he's a damn good criminal. But the point I'm probably I was never making, see daylight the point, again. Oh, he and he shouldn't and he won't. The point I hope, I hope our state doesn't charge somebody with two hundred crimes and lets them plead it too. Mm-hmm. Because the outrage of that will be deafening with the amount of money that's being spent. But what I'm saying is if you apply the rules across the board to the people that look like Ronnie and then the, the unsavory people that you might think, what you'll what? never have a problem. But when you relax the rules on people that look like Ronnie, that's where you're going to get burned. What are you saying? I could get away with this easier than you could? Well, I do. I look differently than you do. But yeah, you don't look like the guy. It's just a speculation slide. Yeah, it's just a little bit. Okay. (laughs) So I could slide into BOA and set up a fake account, steal client money easier than you could. Yeah. I look like a truck driver. (laughs) Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. So now the point is that, you know, where is this going? We all want answers. It's... You know, we want to know what the feds are doing, Will. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? I mean, there's certainly income tax evasion that's going on by Cousin Eddie, who got $2.8 million, and Alex, who who ripped off people to the tune of $8 million. Um, we got bank fraud. We got wire fraud. We got drug conspiracies that we have to talk about on a, on a larger level. Because, look, is is it by accident that Cousin Eddie is not indicted? Hmm. 
He's he's singing like a canary. He has not been indicted yet. We know that he received $2.8 million. We know that he didn't earn $2.8 million. We know that he was cashing checks and giving money back to Alex. We 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 think we know that he may have been or may have knowledge about Alex's opioid issues, whether it's using, procuring, distributing, whatever. How do you know he didn't provide valuable services for that $2.8 million? Because he, you can't paint enough houses and Alex can't, uh, he's not at 10 elephants to consume all of the opioids that all that money would buy. And so there's something there that he has not been indicted. There's, you have to ask yourself why Chris Wilson hasn't been possibly indicted. Is he cooperating? We already know Bakari says he's talking. Mm -hmm. So I think. And Lafitte allegedly cooperating. But no, according to uh, Creighton, that was he was talking. He wasn't mm. cooperating. Talking and cooperating <laughs> are two totally different <laughs> things. So I think we're going to get answers. It's not at the pace that we want, but I think the state is being very careful. And I'm going to make a prediction mm -hmm. before we close this interview. Dick Harputlin will not be the last lawyer that Alex uh, Murdoch has on this case because Dick Harputlian and Alex Murdoch are going to realize that Alan Wilson is here to stay on this case. And I don't think Alan Wilson has any love to lose with Dick Harputlian. I think he's not pleased with Dick suing him over a lot of the mass stuff and whatever. And I think Alex is going to say somewhere down the line, maybe I may need to get somebody that can converse with Alan Wilson and his staff. Now, Bart Daniels already taken. I think he's representing Russ or, Russell, yeah. um, but I, I think that, you know, it's political. There's there, you haven't really touched on that in any article that you wrote, but there's a, there's, there's a mano a mano going on between Dick and Alan Wilson in these cases as, as well. Well, he might also be looking for a lawyer who won't go on national television and admit he's guilty. I'm well, just spitballing here, but, um, that? that's possible. Yeah. Guys, well, for, just, for your, well, don't just let me say for your, for my partner's impatience, and and uh, which benefits our partnership greatly, I am equally patient. Okay, so my reassurance in this case is unlike other situations we've seen in South Carolina, we will have the answer. Mm -hmm. There will be an end, mm -hmm. and it'll be a public end, thanks to guys like what you. If they, what if they, What it. if the answer is the uh, AG comes out and says we we can't bring charges? We don't feel like we have a a, a case that can beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, then we'll fall into complete chaos and bedlam. <laughs> but how That's do you not think the reaction of the state will be at that point, Will? My information is that that won't happen, but if it does, I'd my money's on the chaos and bedlam. I think our I think uh, Chief Justice Beatty is doing a masterful job in, in supervising the judges and what's going on in this case and how grand jury subpoenas were issued by Judge Newman and Judge Lee and I, I think our judges want this case and these cases to end properly mm -hmm. so that. And publicly. And publicly. Mm -hmm. Yes. One time. To publicly, restore the public confidence. To restore the public trust. Well, one of the things I have noticed throughout this process, and again, we're only as good as the information we receive from, from sources we believe to be credible, because obviously SLED's not going to come out and talk about the details of the investigation. The attorney general's office is not going to come out and talk about the details of the evidence it's going to use. Uh, but one of the things we have seen, again, from the sources that we trust, 
repetitive efforts on the parts of law enforcement and on the parts of the, the prosecutors involved in this case to make sure they are measuring twice on all the critical Guaranteed. elements of this case. For Guaranteed. example, if there's a piece of evidence that has been, for example, in a hypothetically speaking, let's say it goes to the sled lab and they get a result that is conclusive for you know, an indictment. They're going and making sure that it's not just their lab that looks at it, it's another lab, whether it's federal, whether it's another, another state, they're going to great lengths, I believe, to measure twice, cut once, once. on this case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree. I, and I don't believe that our state is going to yield to the federal government on, on this case. I think that our state is going to see this through to conclusion and then whatever the federal government does. Hey, don't um, count the feds do. out. You know how they play. No, they're going to do, but they're, they're, they're waiting in the background. Fine, but they're <laughs> if, not going to take. They're not going to take it. And, but, and we're not giving, I don't think the state, that Creighton Waters or Alan Wilson are going to give up their charges. Gonna, they are not going to yield. But and I don't think they're going to plea them down, Alex down, that he walks out in five years But the st uh, the on the Fed, financial crimes. No, Forget the, the blue collar stuff. But the feds are there as the ultimate backstop. So yeah. they have the luxury of time they do. to wait and watch. Mm -hmm. If the state gets it right, if the result is satisfactory, there's nothing to do. But Dick, if, wanted, if to, wrong, though, Dick wanted this to be usurped by the feds so that he um due to his stature and the relationships that he has with the biden administration and the justice department that 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 matter would be disposed of on the federal level and that alex would do federal time oh, I instead know he of that. the big house time that he's going to do but i think the feds are waiting they're waiting in the background they're going to see what the result is if it's satisfactory nothing left to do here if it's not though they're going to step forward. This is not going to go down quietly in any circumstance. What do you think? I think the feds have got predicate crime, which falls under the RICO statute. I think there's a clear nexus there. Mm -hmm. And from there, I think they can go pretty much wherever they want. Right. But I do believe, I think you're absolutely correct. I think the state from the very beginning has made it clear that they're going to go hot and heavy, like you were saying earlier. You know, we go hard, we go hot, we go early. Look, isn't, this is a, a big election year issue coming up. Yeah. Alan Wilson is going to have to seek reelection. I think he has a, a, a pretty good platform that he's going to run on to, to show, you know, how hard he's been on political corruption in his tenure. And um, whether I'm a fan or not, I'm not going to answer that question. But I think he has accorded in his office has accorded himself really well yeah, in no these hard all cases. And he yeah. can run on that. And I won't say if I'm a fan or supporter either, but I could say in, in this circumstance, job well done. Well, we'll find out soon how well. Right. We look toward the next few weeks. Right. It's easy to charge what Will <laughs> is saying. It's easy to charge. It's harder to really get conviction. We'll see. Now, I think the financial crimes, it, they're just a, a first-year prosecutor could could take this to conclusion. But, you know, the blue collar the blue collar charges are going to be tough. Murder charges are tough. It's circumstantial evidence unless you, there's no video camera yeah. and everybody that was there died. Paul and Maggie. So they're, you know, there's dead man don't tell tales. So it's not like there's, there's witnesses. Now there may be witnesses that we don't know about that Alex made a comment. Oh, this, I'm going to do that. Or somebody heard somebody say something. We haven't heard any of that. Right now, it's going to be circumstantial evidence that ties somebody to this crime. You agree? I agree. And you know what? We're actually going to get this video up sooner rather than later because our information is that this is coming down the pike sooner rather than later. So. Okay. All right. Well, then you're, you're, you're there. 
you guys obviously have not been wrong one time. You know, I, I said to Mandy when she wrote that article in January saying that there's physical evidence tying Alex to the crime. I called her. I said, Mandy, really? <laughs> and she said, yeah, I believe it. And I got a pretty decent source. And so I got on TV and everybody said, do you think Mandy's right? And I said, look, she is not going to destroy the credibility that she has or Fitz News that they build up over the past nine months. They've never been wrong mm -hmm. in this case. And case is these matters. They're not going to destroy their credibility because if they're wrong, it, it, you know, it's everybody remembers the last act. We'll tell you if you get it wrong, Will. That's right. Well, and again, like you guys with your clients, there's also things that, you know, I know for, for a fact, you know, Mandy has dug up um, other information that she wasn't able to get quite as solid that she didn't report. Because right. again, she's only going to report what you can corroborate. Exactly. What we, we absolutely are solid on. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the other things we'll see hopefully in the days. Do you feel come. that you... He's take, me now. Do you <laughs> feel that you take more risks sometimes than a, than a traditional uh, newspaper reporting agency would? Like in an editorial room, they say, look, that's just not, I'm not comfortable with that. Do you, do you take it like I do? Do you practice your media the way I practice law where I take it so close? I love the look over the edge, Will. I love the look at the cliff. I'll, I'll answer the question for them. No, they do not. They double, triple check sources. They they they've got it in the bag before they. I got it, it go. but the but there's a lot of times that major newspapers decide they're not going to run it. it. It'll impede the investigation, or it's too we're we're taking on too hot a person. I just feel like you don't care who you're writing about. If it's the right thing to do, you write about it. If it's the right thing to do, you report it. You don't do it on timing. You're not trying to make a a, a statement where it's time you you report no. the news yeah i mean I th it, it's a, always a conversation and you know mandy and liz are two people who in addition to the skill they bring to the you know the page to their writing they're just incredibly good strategists they're incredibly good they see around the corner right um and so bouncing those ideas off of them and having those discussions in the newsroom about how we're going to handle all this information that comes in. Because again, you guys are drinking from the same fire hose we are. Right. Just the sheer amount of information that that is coming in. But I think ultimately the decision that we make is, it, do we know it's true, number one? And then obviously before we print anything, we make sure with our law enforcement prosecutorial sources, is this going to impede? Is this going to obstruct? Is this going to in any way keep you guys from doing your job? of getting justice for these victims. The, the maturation process of, of your organization, Fitz News, is, is pretty extraordinary. I'm not going to say, you know, it's like the Drudge Report or anything, but certainly when you started out, it was more political. It was, you know, a lot of inside fastball that you were privy to because of your position in the Haley administration. Um, I, I do want to put a plug in. I sit I on. Say, what position is that? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do sit on a board with hey with uh, Governor Haley, uh, with one of our clients. She's doing well, man. She's good. She's yeah, doing well. I'm very honored to sit on the board with her. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when you started out, you 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 offered a lane that didn't exist, which is inside that state house, what's going on, and you educated the public. But now you've matured into the cutting edge reporting of what is going on and you're scooping so many different traditional 
newspapers. But, and but, but to paraphrase agent. what Will said, what he, what he said was his organization, like most great organizations, has somebody in the organization who's a governor, mm -hmm. a supreme strategist, and someone with a long field view. Mm -hmm. and, I agree. And every team needs somebody like that. Yeah. But every team needs an Eric and every team needs a Will. And just like every team needs a Ronnie. Every team needs a strategist. Right. With a long field view. That's you. Could be. But I, I view myself kind of like a forward observer. You know, you push me out there. I go take the hill and you come in. Instrument, you're man. the general that comes in, <laughs> in, in the in the Jeep and looks no, out. No, no, no. I'm no general. I, I'm sniper fire. You may be charging the hill. <laughs> but, you're, but I got suppressing cover. Okay? <laughs> I think you guys probably also are a lot like me. It's, you know, there's consequences and then there's the real consequence, which right. is you being wrong. Right. Like, I don't care about being sued. I don't know. That happens all no. the time. I don't care right. about I care about being wrong. Yeah, me too. Yeah. You know? I don't or, like being wrong. Or being I mean, on the wrong side. Did I did I go to bed feeling good that I was publicly reported by Dick Harputley? And did I look at it as a badge of honor? The answer is no. I never like to uh, be reported to the ODC. Did it bother me? Oh yeah. I think it was a real cheap shot by Dick. Oh, yeah, it bothered me from that standpoint. But I knew it was coming when I was talking the way I was talking and as frequently and as forcefully as I did. Um, the gag order, not, I have no problem with that. The gag motion that he did, that's just litigation strategy. But I think he took a shot below the belt when he reported me to the bar. That's just, that's not on the playing field. That's bullshit. Mm. Hey, all is fair, man. It's no, that's the, not fair. It's on the field of play. That's not the field of play, Bo. That okay. happened off the field. Well, guys, we're going to have to bring you back in here. Obviously, <laughs> bigger news coming. It is. Soon. Yeah. yeah, it is. Maybe would you guys be willing to come in after yeah. after those bombs drop and, yeah. and assess where we are at that yeah, point? That's we right. would. We yeah. would. Yeah. We might not agree where we are, but that's okay. Well, it yeah. sounds like it. I mean, you guys are like an old married couple. Man. <laughs> we are. We are. And, uh, he is my work spouse. There's no question about it. So that's it. We're honored and privileged that you uh, asked us to come in here and spend some time with you. You know, we, you know how much uh, respect I have for you and what you've been doing and what you do. And um, I think you guys are the, the cat's ass right now in South Carolina when it comes to uh, reporting journalism. Agreed. Big respect. Got a heck Thanks of a team time. and hopefully we'll keep growing it just like you guys are expanding what you're doing. And uh Onward and upward in pursuit of what we hope is going to be justice in this case. And, you know. But there's got to be a life. You know, I say this to Mandy all the time. Think long. There's there's Murdoch's going to we're going to all drop our microphone soon. Mine's dropping a lot faster than you're going to drop <laughs> yours. You know, we're pretty much done except for a few other clients that we have um, and some additional ones that we're talking to. But, you know, by and large. We're going to be done. We're going to make. We're going to have a press conference in a couple of weeks uh, to announce something very exciting uh, by the Satterfield family. They're starting a foundation. Oh wow! In honor of Gloria, that's going to provide. Um, it's just a teaser. We'll say it for the press conference. Yeah, I, I said it yesterday. They're they're going to provide. Shot collar. That's it. That's no, no, no. We, I said this yesterday. Don't in give the press the release. No, no. That they're going to provide um, money for underprivileged families at, at Christmas time. That's and great. that'll be the legacy that Gloria will lead. And we have some other things to announce. So, but the truth is that microphone's going to drop for us and we go back to being what we are. It's just hardworking lawyers for all our clients. We work this hard, by the way, for all our clients, honestly. That's a true story.
No doubt. Well, I'm grateful for you guys for coming in. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man. Eric yeah. Bland, Ronnie Thank Richter, you. appreciate you both. Yeah, Thanks, appreciate brother. you. All right. Thanks, Dylan.